Welcome to Health System CIO's live at Vive interview with Nadir Israel, CTO and co-founder at Armis. Nadir, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. All right, Nadir, you want to tell me a little bit about your organization and your role? Sure. So I'm the CTO and one of the founders at um, a cybersecurity company called Armis. Um, mm -hmm. We basically deal in the world of devices and assets. Uh, we map out every single device and asset within an environment, uh, specifically kind of given the context of this conference in healthcare environments in particular, map out everything from the IT infrastructure to medical devices to all the kind of specialized different uh, pieces within the environment, all the way through cloud workloads and containers and things like that. Give you a map of your universe and then contextualize everything, meaning given for every asset, every device, be it an MRI machine or an EHR um, asset, exactly what it is, what role it plays within uh, your organization, criticality, and then all the security details and information and the ability to act on them. Fundamentally, we like to think of ourselves a little bit like the Google Maps of your organization, and then the ability to navigate and action things based on that. Okay, very good. So you're speaking here at Vive, um, and I know your session covers on covers the topic of technical debt mm -hmm. and security. That's a very interesting topic to me. Technical debt. Um, what, what? How would you describe the relationship between technical debt and security vulnerabilities and risk? Well, it's a very tight relationship. I think um, ultimately, technical debt uh, generates a risk and an attack surface, and I think that for the most part we see that uh, dovetailing heavily into uh, the whole world of cybersecurity and how um, attackers are exploiting that increasingly large attack surface. But um, technical debt, I think, is a world onto its own. Um, technical debt is also old things that are out of service, mm -hmm. uh, end of life, uh, things that you're basically paying and incurring the risk as a CIO within your organization for having them because it's hard to deal with them, it's hard to replace them, it's hard to uh, manage downtime. Mm -hmm. But definitely, it, uh, for most organizations, this is something that goes completely hand-in-hand -hand with vulnerabilities, mm -hmm. patching, and generally supporting uh, different systems. So technical debt, you know, you could have two parts of it. You could have the old products that you mentioned are perhaps no longer being supported, no longer receiving patches. We know with the medical devices, the operating system outlives the patching and the support from the vendor, but they want to keep using mm -hmm. the product because uh, it's got a long shelf life in that sense. So that's one area of technical debt. And then you also, I think you alluded to the concept of more products. If you continually are adding more and more applications to your suite, uh, instead of sort of perhaps using something you already have or using something from a vendor you already have, and that that goes into application rationalization, right? We want to, and I've heard more and more C CIOs and CISOs talk about that. We want to keep our application universe tighter. Uh -huh. Um, so you've got two areas, again, of technical debt, lots of products and old products, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'd even add um, a third, it, it's more of a derivative of the second one that you said, which is the more complex the environment and the more application, the more in reducing debt by applying patches or replacing things, the more you come across problems of dependencies that break. So 
you set out to patch some server or some database and inadvertently you take down a critical system within a hospital or otherwise some sort of workload around. The complexity of the interconnections is also a problem on its own. That's interesting, the complexity of the interconnections. So even applying patches has some risk to it. For sure. Mostly because I think most organizations and hospitals in particular have uh, a partial understanding of the dependencies. They might think they've mapped out all the different applications because business owners said, we use these and these and these different servers. But that one server that no one even thought about, you patch that and suddenly a whole system or a whole business application goes down. Yeah. So dependencies and complexity. We want to keep that to a minimum. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one idea, uh, one reason for technical debt would be not upgrading to new equipment, not getting, you know, things are getting old and we're not spending the money to update our equipment, correct? Yeah. So when we want to buy things as a CIO or a CISO, we are making budget requests, perhaps increases. We need to convince the powers that be that this should be approved, perhaps the concept of, hey, this should be approved because otherwise our technical debt will keep growing and our security risk will keep growing. Maybe that needs to be included more in the conversation when they're requesting additional funds to upgrade equipment. Absolutely. Technical debt, like the word debt is in there, not for, it's mm-hmm. not it's not by chance. Uh, it costs money. Uh, increasingly, it costs in terms of risk, but also in terms of real-world uh, cost of what it means to upgrade an old system versus a newer one. Now, uh, I agree with you completely. I think that part of the conversation around acquiring new technology should come from, first, a good, uh, sound business logic around rationalization, but also definitely technical debt and the cost incurred by not doing that, for sure. So I think probably often it's the CIO making those dollar requests um, and perhaps a new dynamic needs to be the CISO supporting the CIO with those risk-based arguments that the CIO will take to those board level or CEO level discussions about why we need to spend this money. So you see what I mean? The, Uh The CISO needs to bring that to the CIO and say, Here's, you know, I understand we want to get this stuff. Here are some risk-based arguments that I can either make with you or you can take. That is absolutely uh, the right way of looking at it. I can tell you that ever since um, last year even, I think 2022 was the first year where in in a long time, statistically, most attacks uh, that happened in the kind of cybersecurity space happened from exploits and not from the usual social engineering techniques that we're all used to. And in essence, exploits mean the ability to exploit uh, vulnerable systems. And the reality is that most attacks don't happen with these like super fancy zero days that just came out. They happen with run-of-the-mill vulnerabilities that have existed for a long time and just old equipment. So in that sense, technical debt is a primary entry point into an environment, into a potential compromise uh, that would cost way more. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that because I've heard I've heard the opposite in terms of the the attacks i've heard people say no it's coming in through email and it's the social engineering there's that's where the majority is coming in mm-hmm. and <laughs> it's interesting right so you, you've got those two those two sides to, mm-hmm. to look at um one is more technical 
you might say, with the devices. You're going to need a more technically savvy attacker, mm -hmm. right? That's going to anybody can learn how to write a phishing email, right? That's not very savvy, although you could get really sophisticated with it. Um, but you have to be pretty savvy to be coming in through a pump, right? Mm -hmm. Infusion pump. Um, if you were talking to a CI, a CISO, and they were trying, I don't know if this happens, but if they're trying to figure out where do I spend my dollars? Mm -hmm. Do I spend my dollars doing education and email security and all that because I think this is where it's coming? Or do I spend my dollars on the device stuff? Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, you're going to have to do both. But what are your thoughts here? So I was going to say, first of all, uh, the, the simple answer is that you need to do both to some degree. But let me first explain the discrepancy. Yeah. Uh, for the longest time, um, you're right that social engineering was the primary path into an organization. This changed about 12 months ago or so. I think that uh, COVID in particular seems to have created a, a major shift in a lot of different aspects of uh, cyber both cybercrime as well as cyber warfare. Uh, the reality is that uh, there are plenty of nation-state grade tools out there uh, available to different groups, available to different people, and a lot of incentive to go after organizations that have um, either weak cyber hygiene or otherwise uh, or very high profile targets. So this is a fairly new uh, situation where exploits are the main way of getting into organizations. Now, Having said that, um, I'll say the following. No, it's not that you suddenly don't need to educate your organization, but uh, the problem that's fast becoming uh, relevant is that infusion pumps, uh, as an example, but take that to mean any kind of device out there, mm -hmm. isn't running anymore this super proprietary like uh, firmware that was just written for that. It's running old Windows, it's running old um, Android or old Linux OSs, it's not running uh, something that requires uh, a vast understanding and knowledge of particular types of uh, products. It's something that basically is just really old stuff that mm -hmm. wouldn't exist on an endpoint. Mm -hmm. The only problem with things like medical devices is that due to a combination of things like FDA compliance as well as other, it takes way longer for patches to come out. Operating systems are inherently already very old when you buy the device in the first place. Mm -hmm. And generally, the routines around being able to patch or put any kind of compensating controls in a typical hospital are just tend to be weaker than in your average IT organization. That's kind of where this is ultimately coming from. So plenty of people are coming in through the devices. Plenty Absolutely. Of, plenty of danger there. Plenty of, of There's plenty of sophisticated folks out there that will take that avenue to come in. Yeah, because it's worth it. I think that ultimately the prize, if you will, is you shut down a hospital with ransomware or even part of its systems, whatever you're able to compromise. And the reality is that in most cases they would pay. They would pay because it's very hard to... Uh, be on the other end of that equation as a CIO or as a CISO in a hospital. How do you justify the price of keeping a hospital in business and serving people and, you know, the healthcare industry? It's, it's very hard to ignore that. If you're hit, you will likely pay. Uh, it's a good uh, amount of money, too. So there's a lot of incentive. There's a lot of, uh, you know, opportunity. And, yeah, there's plenty out there that uh, would exploit that. And with these breaches that we've seen happen, tell me a little bit about how it works in terms of, is it, is the bad actors, is it sort of they put this stuff out everywhere and they see where it sinks in, or do they write on the board, target A, 
they put your they write your hospital your health system down i said okay let's guys let's go we're going so, we're going for this one so yes in the sense that you're talking basically about two different groups in in the world there's two aspects of this industry when it comes to what you're describing first of all there are the groups that deal in uh, just selling uh, intelligence entry points if you will for different targets of opportunity I imagine like uh, basically like a brokerage or a marketplace yeah. where you go in and there's groups that just create all of these different doors and opportunities they would be uh, doing to your point massive reach out almost random trying to see what picks up where uh, they scour the internet they scour different elements of the environment and just basically pick up different entry points and then they go and sell them now what would happen is a group would uh, actually do exactly the targeted aspect that you mentioned they would go and think okay here's a hospital system in Nashville mm -hmm. um, they have the right um, you know the right finances they look big enough they will likely pay or they have insurance or anything like that and that's what the, this group will go and find or buy intelligence as to entry points they would then go and for weeks sometimes months if it's big enough but for weeks usually they would go and do the slow penetration of that organization it as opposed to what i think most people think ransomware is not something that happens like with a flick of a switch mm -hmm. there are weeks of preparation for that where they go in they penetrate slowly they infect different systems they override different systems and eventually when they're ready they push out all the commands usually by compromising the active directory mm -hmm. and just going from there and there is a lot of things, there are a lot of elements of that that can be stopped in the beginning of such an operation if you have a good understanding of your environment, of what plays a part in communications, and basically how all the things tie together. So it's all, the, it's all about the basics. That's really fascinating. So you could, from the scenario you described, um, and, and let's use the, the, the concept of an open door, uh -huh. right? And that's a vulnerability, an open door. Um, so... Group A, the one that looks for vulnerability, says, oh, we found an open door over here, and this is now in our sales, we're selling these, so uh -huh. there's an open door over here. So I wonder if there's any way for uh, health systems to find out if they have a vulnerability listed in the open, open door shop, and then they can, I don't know if they can do anything about it, or I guess they can close it if they yeah. find out. Uh, before it gets purchased and then used. They can. Um, in fact, um, there's definitely, I think, more of a push uh, on that front as well with organizations in general and not just with healthcare, but they can. Mm -hmm. um, they can also uh, buy curated forms of intelligence like that, but I, I will say that there's a lot of disparity there between different uh, vendors on the cybersecurity side that provide that kind of information. Mm -hmm. But yes, they could. Uh, the reality is if you're big enough, uh, there are probably a bunch. Uh, it's it's not something that uh, you would find more than you think, basically. But yes, that is a completely valid approach, which I think if you can and if you have the bandwidth for it, absolutely do. Uh, the other aspect is, and that's why I keep saying uh, the basics, mm -hmm. is that the reality is that ultimately most of these things are things that relate to exposed systems with known vulnerabilities it's not the zero day stuff it's not all that like good hygiene can save you a ton of breaches and money and the reality is that when we kind of go back to what i said in the beginning around what armist does that's mm -hmm. exactly the approach that we advocate here's the map of your universe mm -hmm. let's sort through that for a second and prioritize 
what is business critical, what's exposed to the internet or otherwise a viable approach, mm-hmm. and also vulnerable or unpatched. And let's focus for a second on that top tier of things before we go into a whole funnel. Let me ask you this. There are other entities, other companies that claim to do uh, similar things to what you do. What is unique about your offering? So I think ultimately uh, there's a few things that are unique about how Armis approaches things. And yeah, there are plenty of actually good tools out there to do any piece mm-hmm. or of what I'm going to describe. But I think the holistic approach is really what sets us apart. It's holistic in a few different ways. First of all, um, a lot of uh, the different tools out there that do similar things to what we're describing focus on a particular niche. It might be medical devices. Mm-hmm. It might be OT. It might be a particular subset of the environment. We believe in an all-or-nothing approach. Ultimately, if we're talking about a hospital or a retail store or a massive bank, it doesn't matter. It's all about every single asset and device that you have and how they all mesh and interconnect together. You can't only look at a part of the environment. So the holistic approach is one difference that we have when we look at everything. You can expect to see within something like Armis anything from an infusion pump to what we talked about before, all the way through your security cameras, your endpoints, your nurse workstations, and your pack servers, everything. Mm -hmm. The second thing, and that again sets us um, quite a bit apart, is that we have um, a massive scale when we basically, um, we're deployed across some of the biggest organizations on the planet, and We track today over 3 billion assets worldwide, which is uh, an enormous number. But we, the way we use it to our advantage, or to every one of our clients' advantage, is that we believe in a collective intelligence approach. Mm-hmm. We learn from all of these environments, both how to figure out what something is, but also what role it plays within an organization, as well as all the security features that you should know about that. So in, in essence, what we tell folks is that there is no need to wait for something to happen to you. Um, or deployed across some of the biggest hospital networks in the world, or deployed across uh, some of the largest uh, defense organizations in the world, these folks, they get attacked over and over again all the time. Every time something like this happens, Armis learns from that and adapts that to everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And lastly, the holistic approach also translates into one more thing, which is we learn from our clients not just their environments or their data, but also how they act and what they do. What are their playbooks? What are the things that they do? And we consume and put that information in one place and then make it available for everyone else. We believe that our job isn't just to provide technology, it's to provide a service and to provide value. And that means using that to also apply methodologies and teach our clients how others are doing it as well. One of the things uh, I've been hearing is that, especially the rural and the small health systems, the critical access, they're really in a bad place with security. They, they, even though there's a lot of best practices out there that are provided by the government and, and government-associated entities, they just don't have the people or the money to really take the steps they need to be secure. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think um, there's a few different things here. First of all, yeah, they are... They maybe get guidance these days, but they don't get um, mandates and they don't right. get funding. Right, uh, exactly. Now, in some states, by the way, the states have taken the, upon themselves to create all kinds of general programs. But you're right, in all kinds of different rural areas, um, either private hospitals or smaller networks uh, are struggling, mm-hmm. for sure. And I think that that's why, kind of going back to your comment from before, 
tool rationalization, having things that work on many different domains at once, mm -hmm. having things that can um, operate what you do more efficiently or add into that stack multiple different capabilities at once mm -hmm. are crucial. Mm -hmm. The second thing is uh, it's no longer a world where you can afford to buy just uh, one tool for every yeah. kind of domain. Things need to integrate. Things need to work well together. And those things are things that we believe in quite a bit. And the last thing is, in many cases, what would happen in those kinds of situations is that there is a very small team that is in charge of a lot. And Armis's ability to come in and also provide technical expertise, put everything in and operationalize it for them, be able to do the legwork beyond just providing the technology, mm -hmm. has been a big differentiator for us. Mm -hmm. What's, and this is kind of... I just have a feeling you have thoughts on this. Um, aren't some um, hackers or these nation states supposed to leave healthcare alone? And I read once recently that um, I think it was whoever developed the exploit and they would sell it, and but whoever they sold it to was not supposed to use it to attack a health system, and they got their hands slapped basically by whoever sold it to them and said, you're, you're cut off because you weren't supposed to do that. Is there, is there any ethics out there? On the bad side, <laughs> I think um, I think the reality is it's a little bit like uh, uh, you know the Geneva Accords and uh, not hurting uh, you know medics in the field, uh, which is one of these things that maybe used to be once upon a time, but the reality is it no longer works that way. Look, if anything, I think the last couple of years and especially during COVID have proven to us is that uh, even if there are um, hackers that have that level of ethic. Uh, there are plenty that don't. That don't, yeah. And the reality is that the healthcare system and hospitals in particular are a target-rich environment that sadly is a very lucrative one as well. Yeah. Uh, in most cases, they would pay and no one would even, you know, think badly of them for doing it because the reality no. is that, you know, it, it, it's one of these things that, yeah, yeah. of course you're going to do that if that happens. Let's talk a little bit about cloud. You know, everybody's going to the cloud, has gone to the cloud. Yeah. Um, does does the cloud increase your risk? Um, and I guess cloud maybe is is uh, too general a term. There's probably millions of ways to do it. Mm -hmm. Some ways to do it well. Some days to do it not well from a security point of view. But what would your advice be to CISOs that um, are working for organizations that are interested or have already moved a lot of their workloads into the cloud? Uh, you've got the big... The, so you can be in the cloud in different ways, right? You've got mm -hmm. the big three... Um, uh, and then you've also got your particular vendor's cloud, mm -hmm. right? And who knows if your vendor is using one of the big three on the back end. Um, so what are your thoughts there in general? First of all, um, I think that um, as a security organization, uh, you, like, cloud is too big to say no to. Like, it's happening yeah. no matter what. So it's more about how to do this the right way. Yeah. Now, I think just like in, um, you know, in the world of uh, third-party networks or pretty much anything else that existed uh, for a long time within healthcare environments in particular, but organizations in general, it's about uh, being able to contain and mitigate the third-party risk uh, that exists. Mm -hmm. Every vendor, including security vendors like ourselves, introduce a certain level of risk into the environment. I mean, that's right. just the reality. Anyone who right. says different is either lying right. or, you know, misinformed. Right. Uh, but the reality is that you introduce a certain level of risk, but you do it to mitigate a significantly larger area of risk. Right. And it's like a side effect with the medicine. Exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But um, what you should absolutely uh, 
be in a position to demand from different third-party vendors such as ourselves mm -hmm. is a complete understanding of the security controls and how we basically go about securing the data and the access that we ourselves have. And that's true for any kind of vendor. Right. I think third-party risk is something that has always existed, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have a solution or something that you can basically do. Now, I'll add to that for a second that there are many ways of doing cloud. It's not about rushing into anything or doing anything in the wrong way, but it is, uh, there are tried and true policies out there already. There's a lot of experience already in things to do right and to do wrong. Um, and I would say that in general, uh, visibility and understanding of what you're doing and what you're transferring is key. Mm -hmm. that, that's where kind of it starts and that's where, you know, that's where you can handle the basics. Is 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 a way to think about it? Is cloud your cloud vendor is just another third party vendor? It's not much more complicated than that, or is it more complicated than that? It's more complicated in the sense that you yourself can build logic that introduces vulnerabilities and risks into the equation as well. So oh. you need to do it right yourself as okay. well. Okay. Okay. But at the same time, what I would say is. It's no different significantly than building out uh, virtual networks within your environment and exposing them to the internet. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, yes, you own the risk for that, but there are ways of doing it, not only best practices, but tooling for visualizing and understanding exactly what you have there and what that exposure looks like. And again, handling it one piece at a time. Okay, very good. Um, let's have a little fun here. So I looked at your, your LinkedIn profile and you studied both computer science and physics. Yeah. And you have a passion for both. So, um, you know, I, I like the, you know, shows about space and physics and Stephen Hawking level stuff, like real high level stuff, the, mm -hmm. the books that he writes for the masses, not, not his, you know, blackboard crazy stuff. Um, what do you think is the most, to you, one of the most interesting things that you learn in physics that you go, I just can't get my mind around that, it's so cool. First of all, there was a time when I thought that I'm going to be doing a PhD in physics and continuing into astrophysics and not oh. what I'm doing today. Wow. There was a time, yes. Um, I will tell you that one of the most fascinating things that I discovered studying physics mm -hmm. is just how little our knowledge is. Like, you would expect that you'd need to do a PhD to reach the limits of human knowledge in physics, but no, you reach it really, really fast. I think that uh, uh, it's incredible to me that during my studies, uh, the Higgs boson uh, yeah. was discovered, uh -huh. and until then, the curriculum was, we don't know if it exists or not, so if it does, here's the equations, and if it doesn't, here's the equations. And then, during my studies, it was discovered, and they were like, okay, so I guess it's this. Uh, it is fascinating how little we know mm -hmm. about our universe, and with every step, like uh, the James Webb uh, telescope yeah. that got launched last year uh, or anything like that, our knowledge completely transforms. Uh, it's, uh, it's incredible to me how, mu how close we are to the edge of our knowledge, basically. Right. So uh, you still enjoy... I do, that I kind do. Of stuff. I'm, I'm you still, follow it. I'm, I'm still thinking that maybe one day uh, I'll, I'll do something in that, uh, in that area too. But uh, yeah. That was the collider, right? Where they found the Higgs boson? Was that yes. the big collider yep. in Bern? Yep, yep, yep. This was uh, 2012, 2013, something like that. Yeah. You know what I think what amazes me, or which is pretty cool, that uh, at least certain countries and countries joined together as a, as a civilization, even say, as a species, we have enough excess capital. <laughs> that people can spend that kind of money to figure out if there's this particle yeah. or not. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it is. 
It is. If only, uh, you know, we spent uh, a, a whole lot of the excess uh, money that we have on attacking hospitals into and, that kind yeah. of stuff, it'd be, be pretty awesome. Well, you, well to, your, to your point, <laughs> you think about some of these folks on the dark side are brilliant. Yeah. Right? I mean, these yeah. are brilliant, brilliant people who have just decided that it, now perhaps, you know, maybe they're essentially being held hostage in a sense. Mm-hmm. And they can't, like, I'm sure they can't get up and quit. I don't think you can just get up and quit one of these gangs say, I'm out. Yeah. Have a go. I'm going straight. Yeah. If you're valuable, then I'm going to let you leave. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, these are people that uh, could have had a tremendous career doing something very, very useful. Yeah. Very interesting. All right. Um, Nadir, I think that's... Um, I think that's about all we had time for today, but I really enjoyed the discussion. Me as well. Thank you for having me here.